Thanks for tuning in to the Fitness Candor Podcast. I'm Eric Feigl, a personal trainer in Cincinnati, Ohio. I've been training for 10 years and have found that there are many ways to exercise, but one right way through proper strength training. My hope for this podcast is that you find answers to your fitness questions, learn a little about the history of strength training and fitness, and combine both to maintain a healthy lifestyle. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Fitness Gender Podcast. As always, I am your host, Eric Feigl, and I'm joined today, and I'm extremely excited, so I'm going to try to contain it just a little bit, but I'm joined today by, um, he may not know it, but um, in some ways or another, he, he's a mentor. He's been in the exercise science field uh, for a very long time, uh, as more, more longer than I've lived. And he's written over 300 professional exercise and fitness articles. Um, some of you who who train with me may know 12 reasons every adult should exercise. So that's that's one. Um, another one that's uh, great that he actually forwarded to me that I got the pleasure to read was resistance training is medicine, which I want to kind of dive into and talk a little bit about. Um, his name is Wayne Westcott. Wayne, thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. My privilege, Jack. I'm honored to be on your show. This is going to be this is going to be really fun. So I, I, uh, a lot of people that I talk to uh, when I said that I'm going to be interviewing you, they're like, "Oh, wait, didn't you give me his article?" So you know, this is this is kind of uh, this is kind of hitting uh, a lot of different people at one time because they they've you know, they know the importance of, of strength training and exercise through things that you shared uh, before we even got to talk to each other. So this is kind of I like how things kind of come full circle, and I think this is one of those points. Um, so if you, if you don't mind, tell, tell us a little bit about what you're doing uh, before you, you went into uh, Quincy College. Before Quincy College, I actually uh, taught physical education back in the old days before there was an exercise science at a variety of universities. I was at um, Penn State University and Ohio State University, also Eastern Connecticut State University and Florida State University. And at that point, I chose to move out of physical education. Oh, I love athletics and sports, but I was really more interested in uh, fitness in general and strength training in specific. So I, I left college teaching for a while uh, to go to the YMCA's, where at that time they were doing um, probably the most of, uh, of any other organization in terms of, of adult fitness, youth fitness, older adult fitness, all types of fitness. And um, I intended to be there just a couple of years, but I stayed in the YMCA system for about 30 years. We privileged to do a lot of research uh, with various populations, and right. I retired from the YMCA back in 2009 and started an exercise science program here at Quincy College as a, uh, I guess, a return to academia with a lot of uh, practical experience and uh, learning from all my mistakes and hopefully sharing that with my students, and we continue to do a lot of research and a lot of publications, but uh, it's a, you know, it's a, a little different, um, different format than what I've done in the past. Yeah, and it's... That's kind of an interesting uh, segue into um, the articles that you've written because I think the, the and student, your students might agree that you know they're in, they're in a very uh, they're in a great spot to to learn from someone who has who has so molded what the idea of exercise and uh, in particular strength training should be and uh, I think that's um, 
those lessons that they're going to be learning are going to be some of uh, more groundwork that's going to be laid later on. Um, it's it's uh, even though it seems like you know the body, the body we, under, we understand certain parts of the body. Strength training, um, some people want to change it you know, and make it something completely different and um, reinvent the wheel, really. And I don't think it really need, needs to be. And I think a lot of your your articles that you've written really hits that home. So when I talk to people about the, the 12 reasons every adult should uh, strength train, um, it's, it may come to, you know, a lot of people think, well, strength training, I'm just going to get bigger muscles and, you know, I'll, I'll look like Arnold, and it's not, it's not about that at all. It affects so much more than just your muscular system. And um, can you tell us a little bit about why you thought it was important to, to write the 12 reasons and then maybe kind of segue into the uh, resistance training as medicine? Sure. The research from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, that actually monitor people who say they exercise to see how much exercise they do, and this is large-scale 10,000-subject research, shows that on average fewer than 5% of Americans meet the minimal exercise requirements put forth by the American Heart Association and the American College of Sports Medicine to be considered um, active. And it's a very low level of exercise. In fact, it can include uh, just walking or mowing the lawn or gardening. Anything that accumulates 30 minutes a day at a net level of three. Now, three METs is a very low MET level, mm-hmm. and it's equivalent to walking at about 2.5 miles per hour. So if we have less than 5% of Americans, of all age ranges, by the way, after age 16, who are even doing that minimal amount of exercise, I shudder to think how few are doing sensible strength training. Without sensible strength training, even if they're doing other things, if they're not doing some type of resistance exercise, the average male loses about 7 pounds of lean weight, most of that being muscle, every decade. Now, it's less in your 30s and a little more in your 40s and a lot more in your 50s. The average woman is similar. She loses about 5 pounds of muscle every decade until menopause, and then that can jump to 10 pounds of muscle per decade. Eric, we think of muscle as the uh, kind of the engines of the body, and so when you're you're losing muscle, it's like going from an eight-cylinder engine to a six-cylinder engine to a four-cylinder engine, and what happens is you you use a lot less fuel. Of course, you have a lot less energy to do physical activities and activities of daily living, so as you, as you lose muscle, your metabolism slows down at the rate of about 3% per decade. When metabolism slows down, we're talking about resting energy expenditure basically, then the calories that used to be used to keep the muscle, which is very active tissue, alive and functioning, those calories go into fat cells, like go into fat mm-hmm. storage. We have the issue of creeping obesity. And so on average, uh, just on average, Americans uh, tend to lose about six pounds of muscle per decade and put on about 16 pounds of fat per decade. So on the scale, that's only a 10-pound change, but in reality, it's about a 20, 22-pound change in the wrong direction, and it leads to a lot of degenerative diseases that are largely preventable. And so our approach has been to let people know how important it is to to do strength training. We can go to some of those specifics in a moment, but to do strength training to maintain their muscle, to maintain a relatively high resting metabolic rate, and to maintain a healthy body composition without adding a lot of fat, which of course leads to diabetes, heart disease, stroke, various types of cancer, and low back pain, a variety of other problems. So 
Uh, that's kind of the, the reason we do this. We, we want to reach the average American, the average adult, and help them to live a, uh, a more active, fit, healthy, productive, functional, enjoyable life. Right, right. You nailed it. The, the term that you use, sensible strength training, um, I think that carries from when someone first starts strength training. You know, you don't have to be an athlete to lift weights. So what kind of, what kind of exercises or what kind of program um, do you usually prescribe people when they first start a sensible strength training program? Thanks, Eric. We, we uh, have been doing strength training research for, for decades, and we have, we've run for the last probably 25 years. Uh, we've run classes, whether I'm at the YMCA or here at the college, we run classes every hour of the day. We start at 7 in the morning. We go until 8 at night. We have small classes, maybe, uh, let's say, 6 to 8 people per class with, uh, say, two instructors working with them. So it's it's fairly, um, super, fairly highly supervised and structured. But um, because we believe in, in flexibility and cardiovascular endurance as well as muscular strength, we we have time to do about a dozen strength exercises. We use resistance machines. You could certainly use free weights or, or, or you know, um, air pressure machines or bands or whatever you'd like to use. But we use, we use uh, resistance machines, and we basically do one good set at a slow, controlled uh, pace for, through a full range of movement, one good set of each of those exercises. And that typically takes our people, you know, probably about you can have about two minutes per exercise, really, by the time they move to the next machine and, and set their weights and record what they do, those kind of things. So probably about 25 minutes, uh, two or three days a week. We found no difference in terms of building muscle or bone, whether they're going two or three. In terms of fat loss, three seems to work a little better. And in terms of blood pressure, three seems to work a little better. But we combine that with their cardio training and their flexibility training, and we used to give a little nutrition information. So it, it fits into a nice, um, you know, 50-minute class with a few minutes to say hello and goodbye and answer questions. And what we've uh, found over the years is that we typically, in, in, in studies with literally thousands, and I'm, I'm not making those numbers up, some of our studies have 1,100 subjects, some have over 1,600 subjects. We, we're pretty wow. good about doing large-scale large, large scale studies. We're very patient and we replicate. But in those studies, uh, on average, the males and females, males a little more than women, but on average, for the two genders, we get about a one-pound muscle gain per month for the first six months of training. Then it slows down a little bit, but not that much. And we typically, depending on whether they're doing a nutrition program or not, we typically see about a one- to two-pound fat loss per month accompanying that muscle gain as the metabolism resets itself at a higher level. Wow. So that's, that's um, you're getting people in and out of there on a, on a pretty quick basis then, right? I mean, it's, uh, is it, what, what are the, what are the rest periods look like between, between sets? You go from, let's just, let's just use, um, a chest press to a row, for example. So you, and you finish about two minutes on a chest press and then are you, what's your recovery time look like? Are you just, boom, getting right back to it? I, I may have, I may have misspoke, in the, uh, Eric. What, what we normally do, we, we normally do eight to twelve repetitions for one Oh, set. okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so that, and we, we do a six second repetition. That, the American College of Sports Medicine's 2006 guidelines, they've changed a little bit since then, but we've liked those guidelines to use them for a lot of our studies. They recommended three seconds up, three seconds down. That's what we do. And we, we've done that even before that, but, but the six second rep, full range and eight to 12 
repetitions for, they recommend about 10 exercises. We normally do about 10 to 12 different exercises, sometimes 15 depending on our study. So um, if they take about six seconds per rep and it's roughly 10 reps on average per set, they take about a minute, maybe a minute and a half uh, if, they, if they're, if they're um, you know, uh, doing 12 reps or whatever. But they, they take about 69 seconds to do their set and then they move, you know, pretty quickly uh, to the next machine, just set set the uh, seat height and the weight, and then they move into their next exercise. So I'm saying maybe for a person like myself or yourself, we'd move fairly quickly. We'd get a good uh, a good metabolic workout as well as a good strength training session. We yep. take about two minutes per machine. Some of our older participants, they may take another 30 seconds or even longer. They might take two and a half minutes, maybe even three minutes. So if they did 10 machines in 30 minutes, that'd be fine. If you did you and I did 10 machines in 20 minutes, we'd get a little uh, higher intensity workout. But uh, right. basically, it's a brief workout um, that most people can handle twice a week. It doesn't it doesn't take an inordinate amount of of time to do that. That's awesome. What um, without getting I know you could probably blow everybody's mind, but uh, without getting too technical, what exactly is happening to the body during strength training? What's um, Let's just take that the average person who maybe has been exercising for um, a few months and then they start an exercise program. Uh, what what starts to change in their body? Well, for the strength training, what happens is you provide a stimulus, and that stimulus means that you you fatigue the target muscle within the anaerobic energy system, which for most practical purposes is somewhere between 30 and 90 seconds. So again, a set of 8 to 12 reps puts you right in the middle of that anaerobic energy system. It's very doable. People uh, kind of gravitate towards that if you left them on their own. The research tells us that. So you you stimulate the muscle by actually causing some micro trauma to the tissue. You have a, a heavier load than the muscle's used to using, and there's a little little breakdown of of the muscle in the connective tissue, and sometimes that results the next day in a little soreness. We call that delayed onset muscle soreness, and right. that actually that process actually lasts uh, at least three days. In other words, you're once you've once you've caused some microtron of the tissue, you need to assimilate protein to build that muscle to make it a little stronger. The muscle fiber is a little larger and stronger, and you need energy to do that work. And so after even a one set of 10 exercise workout, your resting energy expenditure increases a minimum of 5% for three full days after the workout. That's really quite amazing. If you did a a higher volume or high intensity, that would be up to 9% for three full days. That's Heaton study and Hackney study, uh, respectively. And most of the studies show, on average, about a 7% increase in your resting metabolic rate for three full days after workout. So that helps burn a lot of calories, but it also shows that your muscles are actively remodeling to a higher level of strength. I don't want to be too technical, but right. uh, your muscles contain stem cells. We call them satellite cells in your muscles. And when they are stimulated by a strength workout, the satellite cells blend into the fiber. They give the fiber more protein to make it larger and stronger. And as you as you increase the protein in your fibers, you also have to increase the number of nuclei, and the stem cells will provide more nuclei as well. So it's an it's, it's a fascinating 
physiological process of building muscle. If you stop strength training, Eric, you'll lose some of that muscle. You'll lose some of the protein. As you know, we call that atrophy, building the muscles, hypertrophy, losing the muscles, atrophy. But what we don't lose are the nuclei. So that's why a person says, well, I used to lift weights and I've, I've had to stop for a reason. I've injured myself. When I go back, will I gain strength more quickly? Yes, you certainly will. Well, why is that? Right. Do muscles have memory? No, but they have way more nuclei than they had before. And right. that really helps to, to gain more quickly. So, so you, can't, you can't lose by doing strength training. If you have to stop at some point or if you know you're going to have surgery, strength train before the surgery, build yourself up, and you'll come back much more quickly to a higher level of strength and function afterwards. Right, absolutely. And I, I've told people that too, like, well, you know, we're going to be starting over. I'm like, actually, you're not. I don't go into that much detail that like you just did, but I'm glad you did because now people are going to have a better understanding of that. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So, so where should, um, you said that, you know, also there's cardio and there's stretching involved in, in the programs that you, you perform. Where, where do those fall in the exercise program? Before, after, during, during you, where do you, where do you have those? We've actually done quite a bit of research on that, and in, in several studies, the last one had over 200 subjects, and we've done three before that with similar number of subjects. We looked at doing cardio, um, you know, 20 minutes of cardio at 75% of maximum heart rate, the old standard, and 20 minutes of strength training uh, that you and I would do, 10 machines in 20 minutes, at using about 75% of maximum resistance. That's a weight that most of us would do about 10 times. And we have found in all four of those studies that it makes no difference in terms of muscle development or strengthening whether you do the cardio first or the strength first. So it's a matter of personal preference, which is nice to know that you know your client can say, I, I'd rather do it first. or something. I love to do my strength training first, and then I do my, my cardio. A few years ago, the United States Air Force asked us to do a, a study for them because they were having so many people fail their fitness exams. And when they failed, they put them on a cardio program. And after 12 weeks, they still failed the fitness exam because they weren't able to do the cardio program. They were supposed to do a 1.5-mile, uh, we call it a jog, but a run. And they put them on a cardio program, but it just didn't match their ability. They, they didn't have the ability to do cardio. Um, they didn't have the strength or the, the basis. For, for, for doing cardio without breaking down. So they said, what do you recommend? And uh, we suggested a circuit strength training program because they did want the cardio in there. Um, mm -hmm. So we said, let's do, let's do circuit. So we did, we did 10 exercises, 10 uh, machine exercises, and they wanted to put a minute on each machine and then a minute of cardio in between on a stationary bike. So we said, that's fine. But that's 20 minutes. It's a lot better than trying to have people that can't do a 1.5-mile run attempt to do 60 minutes of cardio, which was their protocol. So we were very successful. Our, our group, um, they, they, they passed all the tests. They had significant improvements in all areas, strength and endurance and waist growth, et cetera, uh, unlike the cardio group. So... Um, we have since been using a similar system in a number of our research studies. We were only going to use it for one, but the people like it so much we've continued with it. I personally don't like to train this way, but the average person that we have here in Boston loves it. So let me tell you what it is. They do three, not just one, but they do three strength exercises, uh, leg extension, leg curl, leg press, three leg exercises, and then they do um, six minutes of cardio. Any, you can do stationary cycling, uh, upright cycling, I mean, recumbent cycling, upright cycling, stepping, rowing, um, treadmill, whatever they want to do. Then they come back and they do three exercises for the upper body. They do the chest press, the pull down, and the shoulder press, huh. followed by six minutes of 
Tanya. Then they do three machines for their midsection muscles, the low back machine, abdominal machine, rotary torso machine. They do another six minutes of cardio. And if they do three more machines, they would then do another six minutes of cardio. So um, they're doing, you know, nine to 12 machines with uh, 18 to 24 minutes of cardio, and they absolutely love it. We've had excellent results with this, especially in our weight loss studies while still maintaining muscle and metabolism. Uh, again, that's not my way to train. I, I, I can't sure. multitask. I've got a concept on my strength training. I love my strength training. And then I'll do my cardio afterwards. But the average person says, hey, this is great. We get to mix it up a little bit. The other thing you asked me, I apologize for speaking so long now, but the other thing was about stretching. And we've done three major stretching studies, and each one showed that if we stretch a muscle right after our strength training session, either right after each exercise, we've done it that way, or right after the full session, if we do a pretty comprehensive stretching program after the session or stretch each muscle right after we've strengthened it, like if we did a set of leg extensions for the quadriceps, we'd then spend 20 seconds stretching the quadriceps right at the machine. We've had with our beginners a 19% greater strength gain, let alone greater uh, flexibility gain, uh, when we do that because it appears that the ability for muscle to contract and shorten and the ability of muscle to relax and lengthen are two sides of the same coin, and they work very well together. But we always do our stretching after. We never stretch the muscle yep. before the strength training. So I'm sorry for the yep. long answer. No, no, no. That was, that's very detailed. That was, uh, that's excellent. The, I, I, had a podcast yesterday with a man named Bill Crawford. He's a personal fitness coach in Las Casas, Arizona, and we had the same conversation about where to put um, where to put the cardio and also where to put stretching. And we, you know, I think it's it's starting to change a little bit, just like the thoughts on on strength training and cardio that uh, it's better to do the stretching at least for most people at the end of at the end of the workout. And you know, it's just kind of you know, it's just like stretching something that, uh, like a piece of taffy that's cold versus a piece of taffy that's that's uh, warm. And uh, Absolutely. and I think um, that's an interesting technique to do between each each exercise. Also, do you you hold for? Did you did you give a time frame? Twenty thirty seconds. Yes. Per, uh, again, per I I Eric, I couldn't do that. I I don't want to stretch. I when I'm strength training, I have a hundred percent of my brain cells. Not that there are that many, but they're all focused on my stretch. <laughs> I don't do it that way. I'll stretch afterwards. I do my cardio. Yeah. But I'm in, when I'm in strength training, I'm in strength training. I love it. But um, the majority of our participants, not all of them, but the vast majority, probably 70%, prefer to do after each exercise, they will take 20 seconds, which doesn't have that much time between stations, and they will stretch the muscle. This just work when it is really warm. I mean, if you've done a set of leg extensions, the quads are warmed up, and they just feel it's like it's so they, they this is what they say it's like the dessert. So they they've done the they've eaten the meat and potatoes. Now they've got the dessert. They've done their their strength training. Now they get to relax and stretch. And for our average uh, 50, 60, 70, 80 year old, which make up the majority of our participants in our college studies here, they're 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, with some in their 30s and some in their 90s. But um, they just like that. Just it just it just I guess. Um, fits their personality, but it doesn't fit mine, but it fits theirs. 
and so we give them the option. The morning classes where people are kind of in a little more of a rush of the younger people going to work into Boston, they got to get in and out. Uh, they prefer to do their strength training, boom, 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 go right through, keep them thousand up, and then do their stretching, five minutes of stretching at the end. And when we compared the two in our studies, we found no difference. So again, a personal preference. They both had, uh, one had 19.4 and had 19.6 improvement in strength. So similar, we just like to include the strength and the endurance and the, um, and the flexibility into the workouts for the people that, that only come, you know, two or three days a week. Sure. Yeah, and I can, I can definitely see the, the gravitation towards doing it at, right after the exercise. You kind of, it, I mean, it's almost like, um, for me, I, I might have to I'll start trying that. So I kind of, I stretch at the end. Um, I, you know, three, five minutes. I don't hold it very long for myself and for all my clients. Um, I do it for at, at the very end. Occasionally, there's a couple people that will stop and do an upper body stretch or something during the middle of the workout. But I can definitely see putting that right after the exercise. And maybe just like a, from a time thing, like, well, I just want to get all of it done, you know, as fast as I can and boom, walk out the door. You know, I have to separate that, that mind, like you said, you know, going from strength training to, to stretching. It's a totally different mind frame. So that's a, that's a really unique technique. Um, well, we, we, we do use it, uh, because it, it has worked for us and our participants really like it, and that's, that's important. Otherwise, many wouldn't even stretch. So, um, yeah. that's how we, yeah. that, that's how it's evolved. I'll just put it that way. Right. Well, when, I'm going to jump to the, the article uh, that you wrote called Resistance Training is Medicine. Um, can you talk a little bit about just a, a brief overview of what that paper is about and, and the importance of importance of that paper? Sure. Uh, that paper was written on request uh, for a journal that only only takes articles that they request the authors to write. I've never been asked to write for that uh, journal before. It's the American College of Sports Medicine's Current Sports Medicine Reports. It's a medical research journal. And I was honored to do that. It took a long time to get all that information together. I gave them over 250 references, 150 of which were published in that article. Um, because they actually they wrote more than 50. I said, well, you've got to take at least 150. We'll compromise because this is so important. And they said, you're right, it is. So um, when, when people lose muscle and the town slows down and they add fat, which is a cascade of events that happens in that sequence for most Americans, even if they're doing running or, or other aerobic activities, if they're losing muscle, they will have those issues. And that, that leads to a variety of, of, of problems, not the least of which is, is the type 2 diabetes. The muscles are the largest storehouse of glycogen in the body. The liver and the muscles are where you store sugar. Well, if you're losing muscle, then you don't have as big a storehouse. And so you tend to, you know, the, the sugar stays in the blood long. You don't want high blood sugar. So we, we see in our studies and in many other studies that strength training is one of the best means for um, reducing high blood sugar, reducing HbA1c as we're finding in a study we're doing right now, a six-month study, and reducing the risk of type 2 diabetes, which is estimated to affect one out of every three Americans by the middle of the century. So very serious thing. Muscles are important. Muscles also have a lot to do with the heart um, and cardiovascular disease because strength training has been shown 
to reduce resting blood pressure as much as cardiovascular training, especially circuit strength training. So people say, well, that's going to be bad for blood pressure. No, it's one of the best things you can do to reduce resting blood pressure. We've done numerous, numerous studies on this, and all the studies that have been reviewed have shown that strength training is not harmful for blood pressure and, in fact, typically reduces resting blood pressure about 6 millimeters uh, systolic and 4 millimeters diastolic, 4 to 5 diastolic, and we found that in our studies. But also, uh, the same thing was said about um, blood lipid profiles. That, oh, strength training has to be bad for that. No, the research shows that strength training typically, re- on average, uh, this is ACSM research and their uh, position paper, reduces total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol by, by about 20%, increases oh. HDL, the good cholesterol, by about 20%, and reduces triglycerides, which is how cholesterol travel through the bloodstream, um, by about 18%. So it's very beneficial for a variety of cardiovascular factors. I don't know if in that article I mentioned endothelial function or not, uh, the elasticity of the blood vessels, but strength training in most studies has been shown to be beneficial in that respect as well. In, in addition to the cardiovascular system, uh, of course, we have the musculoskeletal system with a, a major issue of osteopenia. We have sarcopenia, the loss of muscle, and then osteopenia, the loss of bone, which progresses to osteoporosis. And in our study and many, many other studies, probably more studies in this area than any other, uh, strength training has been shown to be the best means for remodeling or rebuilding bone and reversing bone loss. So uh, in terms of maintaining a strong musculoskeletal system, preventing uh, falls, if you do fall, you know, not breaking the bone, strength training would be very, very important. On the other side of the coin, Eric, uh, numerous studies, including several that we have done, have shown that strength training is just as beneficial psychologically as it is physiologically with, with um, you know, self-efficacy and depression and self-confidence and uh, all of those issues that we look into from the emotional perspective. And then right. other studies, not, not our own, but others have shown that strength training improves cognition uh, and may be beneficial. Studies coming out of Canada may be beneficial in delaying, um, if not preventing, but at least delaying the onset of dementia in general and uh, Alzheimer's disease in specific. So strength training has a lot of benefits. Obviously, it helps with low, low back pain. We did a study with General Motors on that. Plus, we've done two other studies that have had excellent results with reducing low back pain and hopefully preventing its reoccurrence. Same with fibromyalgia and arthritis. But the reason that strength training is probably so important is because your muscles produce hormone-like substances called myokines, just like the fat cells produce cytokines. And you need cytokines. They affect every other uh, organ and tissue in your body. But you don't need too many cytokines. You don't want too many many fat cells. But with myokines, very important, it affects all the other tissues, all the other organs. And, you know, the more muscle you have and the more active your muscle is by doing regular strength training, the more the myokine production, um, which helps affect everything from your neural endocrine stress axis to just your daily function in, in every organ. So we think that muscles being the engine of the body are important enough to spend, you know, if you didn't do the cardio, you didn't do the stretching, at least do 20 minutes twice a week of resistance right. exercise, and you'll be very pleased, I think, not only with the process, it's not that hard. In fact, most of us enjoy doing it, but also the product. 
Yeah, and then, you know, by doing just the strength training, there's, you know, you're working your heart, which is a muscle, so you are getting some cardiovascular, and then if you're working through full range of motion, and you're working flexibility. So and you kind of get uh, the best bang for your buck is definitely through strength training. Go ahead. No, I was gonna, that, that, that is absolutely brilliant. And, in fact, uh, the, the studies would have done just circuit strength training without the cardio. Now, when we did the Air Force, they insist on the cardio, but our other studies and some of the really good studies, Nezzy and Dill study, strength training without cardio, just going from, from machine to machine. They did 14 machines uh, in about 20 minutes, and they, they compared the results with doing strength training with free weights and doing running. The strength training with free weights was uh, 50 minutes three days a week, and the running was 30 minutes three days a week. So the strength training was the most efficient, as you just said. The strength-trained individuals had statistically the same strength gains as the free weight trainers, which took two and a half times as long, and they had the same uh, increase in maximum oxygen consumption, max VO2, as the runners. So, yes, if you want to train wow. in a circuit manner, you can maximize, and I mean this, you can optimize muscle strength, cardiovascular endurance, and as you said, if you do full range, you'll definitely, as we've seen in some of our studies, enhance flexibility at the same time. Didn't mean to interrupt you, but that was just, you said that so well. I didn't want to, no, that's I didn't want to miss that point. <laughs> Good. Thanks for backing me up. <laughs> Perfect. I, uh, I think that's the full the full range is it's so key for for every every strength training movement and um you know I, I get aggravated when I see um people short range exercises all the time you know trying to get it finished trying to get it done and it's just like you could you're doing you're doing more physical work with less results that way you know if you just work full range exercise you get you get you don't have to do nearly as much for the amount of uh, effort you put into it. And so that's, I always like to stress that. Uh, on that same time, efficiency is important. Yeah, exactly. Be efficient with it. Just do, do it right the, the first way. I won't make you do a third set. <laughs> right. Um, what's, uh, what are the, some of the, uh, the, the aging factors that go into, um, to strength training. So I know there's a, a, a very end of, of that same article you talk about reversing age factors. Can you talk a little bit about that? I thought that was really interesting. Yes. Uh, thank you. I forgot about that. That was a, a study out of McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada by some of the best researchers in the world without question, Tarnop Pulaski and Phillips, uh, medical researchers, MDs who are researchers. It's just phenomenal. And what they did, they took older adults, about my age actually, uh, they took 68-year-olds, just a little older than myself, and they put them on a, a standard strength training plan. They think they did two sets of 10 exercises for six months. And uh, at the end of the six months, they re-examined the mitochondria. Most people will remember, you know, from, from science class, the mitochondria are considered the powerhouses of the cells. And mm -hmm. they, they, can, they, uh, they control almost as many functions as the nuclei of the cells. Well, they examined uh, just under 180 genes, and they found the uh, mitochondria genes, muscle mitochondria, and they found, and they found that, um, the 68-year-olds had reversed or changed or improved or advanced, I don't know which, which word is best, their, their genetic fingerprint in their mitochondria comparable to that of 24-year-olds who wow. didn't strange train, but still, I would, I'd change my, my 67-year-old genes <laughs> or 24-year-old genes anytime. I mean, <laughs> when you get, when you get 
genetic changes with strength training, you have to step and take notice. Say, this is really important to do. That the muscles are the engines; they produce mitokines, uh, myokines, excuse me, myokines, uh, and they they impact your mitochondria, and you can get you can get more uh, nucleus. I mean, my goodness, who wouldn't want to do this if you want to, you know, live a, a an active, functional lifestyle at least? Yeah, and that's uh, interesting too because there are new studies coming out now that saying those those people who are actually uh, you know changing their um, their genetics that way are improving the future of their genetics. So you know if I if I were to have a child and I didn't exercise versus uh, strength train versus you know having a child and I did strength train, you know that there there's like genetic links that show uh, one change from generation to generation. So that's, you know, you're not thinking about just doing it for yourself, but think about the, the future generations of your bloodline that you're affecting, too. That might seem a little hippy-dippy, but um, there's, uh, there's studies that are, that are coming out uh, that, are, that are answering those kind of things, which I think is really interesting yeah. also. Excellent yeah. point, Eric. Excellent. Thank you. Do you um, I know you got to run here. I'm running close on time, but as we, while we wrap up, could you, you shoot out some uh, must-reads that, that you recommend to your students or for people to, to learn more about their body and strength training and exercise? Yeah, sure. Absolutely will. Um, I, you know, we have, we have a new book called Building Strength and Stamina. Third edition just came out last week, which is my favorite book I've ever written. It's actually the second edition of that was also the textbook for the United States Navy, Navy Fitness. So it's a, it's a really good book and I do recommend that. I've always liked, um, um, Ellington Darden's books. I think he's a very straight shooter. He's been a good friend for a lot of years. He's a much better writer than I am and he does a really good job. And if his books, I recommend highly. If you wanted uh, a, a good exercise physiology text that anyone listening could read, uh, it's one of the best texts I've ever had. I'm, I just, it just came out. I'm definitely going to get it for my students. It's by Bob Murray and Larry Kenny. Now, Larry Kenny is the author of these, you know, these, these, uh, thousand page texts with, with, um, uh, with, oh gosh, um, with, with, with the highly detailed exercise physiology that you have in graduate school. I mean, just, just the, the most intricate information with all the researchers and all the, all the great studies to support. And this guy knows his He's from Penn State. But he has a new book out with Murray. It's called Practical Guide to Exercise Physiology. And every page has the most awesome, colorful, I'm, I'm through it right now, illustrations uh, and, and a graph or a chart. And it doesn't have any references. It's for the person. I, I believe these guys. I just want to know what I need to know. Uh, you know, what happens? How's, um, you know, what's my oxygen deficit? Or what are, my, what are my needs for extra protein? Or whatever it is. Or what happens? What, what happens to the mitochondria? What happens to the satellite cells? I mean, it's just so awesome. It's perfect as a, as a review. If you've already had that, say, but I don't want to read this whole thing again. But I just want to. <laughs> You know, I just want to—I want to refresh myself. Oh yeah, this is what happened. It has great pictures of muscle and how muscles work, and it's just phenomenal. I recommend it highly. Again, it's practical guide to exercise physiology. I just had a review copy, and uh, I'm definitely going to get it for my students. Good, awesome. I just pulled it up on my Human Connects website, so I'll—I'll I'll post that and uh, as a recommendation, and I'll probably get end up getting it myself. I'm kind of a, a nerd that way too. I don't too, think you'll so. be disappointed. You know, I—I I don't, I don't I, think so. 
Yeah, it's, it's just so well done. And my students, uh, you know, they, they, they're more visual. They're used to, you know, quick hits because of, you know, the Internet and all things that they, they grew up with. Uh, and uh, this is just perfect. Each page is just kind of stands by itself and it covers a topic. Maybe a couple times in the two or three pages. Great stuff on strange training. They agree with all of our principles. So I couldn't, I couldn't fault Good. this. I, I was amazed. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks Good. for asking it. Oh, say it again. No, I said thank Hello? you for asking. Okay. That's it. That's oh. Oh. oh, absolutely. Um, well, I'll let you go. I know you have uh, something to get to, so I will. I'll link. Uh, I'll link to a couple of uh, websites that we talked about uh, earlier, and um, I'll put your contact information on the website or on the post if that's okay. So if anybody has any follow-up questions, they can get a hold of you. And um, any any final words uh, of wisdom for everybody out there? Well, I'm just honest. I've uh, been speaking. Yes, great question. I think we've covered a lot of, of material. And the other thing is just uh, strength train progressively. Just, you know, yeah. it's long-term. Don't try and do it all in one day or one week or one month or even one year. It's a lifetime activity. I've been doing it since I was 15, so that's over 50-some years. Um, and I try not to get injured. If you don't get injured, it's wonderful. Um, if you go progressively and sensibly, um, it's a great activity. It's a lifelong activity. Great. Couldn't say it better myself. Well, hey, enjoy the rest of your day. And, uh, again, I appreciate it, and I will let you know as soon as we post this. Thank you very much, Eric. Honor and privilege speaking with you. Right, thank you, sir. Continue to Bye. Thank you. Bye now. If you have any questions or comments, please find me on Twitter at Fitness Canner Podcast and at Eric Feigl, as well as Facebook, searching Fitness Canner Podcast. I'd love to hear what you have to say about featured guests and any topic suggestions you might have. Thanks again for listening.